Hello, welcome back. It's time for Customers Who Click. Today's guest is Paul Davis from Shoe Size Me, which is an AI shoe sales system. It's a really cool tool that will help you find the right size of shoe based on the other shoes that you buy. But that's not where the experience stops with them. They are a bigger part of the customer journey and they also help customers find other options for shoes. So Paul and I have been chatting for a while before we decided to do an episode. And I was really fascinated when he mentioned the dead end experiences. It's something that so many brands are affected by and really need to be fixing, but kind of don't even really think about. Before we get Paul on, this episode is sponsored by me. I help D2C brands acquire more customers without spending more on ads through conversion optimization and marketing automation. If this is something you're struggling with, or if you just fancy a chat and some ideas, drop me a message on LinkedIn or email me, will at customerswhoclick.com. Let's hear from Paul now. Hi, Paul. Thanks for joining me today. Um, do you want to quickly introduce yourself, uh, a bit of your background and, and how you've got to where you are today? Yeah. Hi. Uh, yeah, my name's Paul Davis. I'm the uh, Chief Commercial Officer for Shoe Size Me. Um, we are a um, business based out of Switzerland. Uh, we've got an office in Barcelona and we're focused on the e-commerce market, helping people sell more shoes online. seems like a, a, it's a difficult market and it seems like it's a worthy thing to approach. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I know I've, I've had problems buying shoes online, uh, but it's just so much more convenient than going into a store. <laughs> I, I, it's funny, I went into a store um, in Amsterdam the other day uh, and was doing a video because we were comparing the in-store experience to um, the online experience. And it was fascinating. We actually played it back to the, to the brand we were, we were talking to. And I think it was quite eye-opening for them. One of the other big things was maybe skipping ahead a little bit, but the differences in conversion rates uh, between the in-store and the online is, is just profound. So the average uh, conversion rate in a store is between 10 to 20%. The average conversion rate online is, is between 1% and 2%. There, there is a profound difference. And I, I imagine that that conversion rate goes up a lot when a salesperson actually interacts with a, with a customer rather than just letting them leaving them free in the in the store yeah i mean obviously that um i think we've all experienced those really good um customer you know interactions with somebody in a store who is really kind of like a product expert but probably also a person expert that that they um they know how to approach somebody they know how to help them they're not just trying to buy just trying to make them buy something they're actually trying to help them educate them about the thing that they're about to do and i think that kind of like that positivity it, it, it just works. I mean, it's worked, for, it's worked for thousands of years. Probably the thing that I enjoy the most if I'm buying something, somebody actually giving me some expertise. I, I always think that's interesting. Well, interestingly, so I've been doing some customer interviews for a client and um, it's for quite a high, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking at? High involvement purchase. Mm-hmm. Yeah, needs, needs a fair bit of research, quite high priced. Um, and loads of people will, do end up phoning in to the customer service or the, the sales team who are really, really good at providing information. And what I suggested today was um, when someone's building this custom product, which is made of various components, so you have to have an understanding of all these different components, having a line at the top which says something like, don't worry, uh, when you complete your purchase, one of our engineers will check your uh, your build to make sure it all works well. You know, to make, make sure it's actually something that will work. Um, and, and the guy on the interview said, yeah, actually, I think, I think that'd, be, that'd be useful. A good, it's like a positive statement that makes you think, even if I, if I don't quite know what I'm doing, 
someone's going to check it for me. And then I said, well, would you be interested in a, like an optimization audit or something for, as a paid service where they would do that as a base level, but then the paid service is, we think you've, uh, you've bought the wrong component to go with this because, so it's PCs, basically. It's an, huh? if, if I say it's PCs, it gives me a much easier way of explaining it. <laughs> basically, uh, we think you're overpaying for this component because you've bought this, like this graphics card, because you've bought this motherboard or processor, or processor probably. Um, so you can either, we'd recommend you either downgrade the the graphics card to something more more appropriate or upgrade the processor to match it. So it'll work fine as it is. What you've bought is fine. However, it doesn't quite, you know, it's not balanced. Um, and this guy said, yeah, he'd be, he would happily pay for that service uh, even if it meant then potentially upgrading certain other products, because he, then he knows he's got that expert uh, expert knowledge, expert opinion, and, and has built a better product for him. Um, so I think that'll be it's going to be really interesting to look into the, the comfort that for the shopper. I think is huge because I th- and I think that's you know that's one of the reasons why the conversion rates in stores is so much higher than online because the comfort from the shopper having been told, I, I now know, I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not, you know, I, it's now turning into a feel-good purchase. And, and I think that there is the, the opportunity to turn anything into a feel-good purchase is a really great thing to do for a shopper. Because I think also that the next following things is, okay, not only how do you help the shopper buy right now, the thing that they're looking for, but also then how do you create a, a, an ongoing interaction with them? Like, how do you create that either brand loyalty, I guess it could be with a retailer too, right? How do you, that, that ongoing customer relationship, how do you, what is the foundation to that? Now, for instance, if, if people are selling the same, the same things, it kind of maybe turns into a bit of, it might be a cool a commodity, but it's still, a, it might be a cool commodity. So let's say there's a latest brand of whatever sneakers, right, that comes out. You might have 20, 30, 40, 100 different retailers selling the same product. It's still a cool product, but how do you differentiate here? How do you turn that into a purchase they're going to be happy with anyway? But how do you then use that as an anchor for an ongoing relationship with that with that shopper? Um, and I think that that idea of that extreme customer service, um, and, I, and I use this word in this case, extreme, as a positive thing, um, that it's going to make me feel okay about buying this. Um, and I would personally really, really value that. I, I always engage with those kind of things. So I've been looking at, um, trying to buy a bike recently. I know nothing about bikes. Like last thing I it was in the eighties, BMX in the eighties, uh, and I, I've moved to the Netherlands, right? So everyone's really into cycling here. You know, you've got your crappy everyday bike, but then there's a load of people who've got a, a nicer bike. So I'm thinking, oh, it seems like a good thing to do. I know nothing about this, and I've been noticing the amount of customer care, the amount of customer service in that end of the market is much higher than other things I've seen on average. You know, it, there are opportunities to interact with a platform that will that will help you, for instance, with the size. But so much more than that as well. There's always somebody a chat. There's always maybe a phone a, a phone number you can get to. But there's all these different interactive tools there available to help me find the right product for me. And again, when you're talking about bigger purchases, and let's face it, for instance, in our market, shoes are becoming more and more expensive. You know, o- over time. Um, uh, 
there's a value component in there. Uh, but for instance, we work with a brand called RM Williams, who were selling up to a thousand euro um, Chelsea boots. Um, you would have thought that you were going to want some real good feel good factor about this, not only buying the shoe, but also certainty that this is going to be the right implement for you. Yeah. I think that's, that's a huge thing. I think also, don't shoes generally, the return policy is you can return it as long as you've not worn it. Uh, yeah, generally not outside. Yeah. And I think, I think worn, worn tends to mean, yeah, not, not worn outside, not actually used. Yeah. But, you know, so with that in mind, a thousand euro purchase, you're going to want to, you want to know that this product's going to fit, right? And that you're going to like it. Yeah. Well, yeah. Maybe if it, it, first of all, if it's the right, if it's the right product for you, again, you know, th- those kind of like boundaries of kind of like where the customer service ends, uh, where it starts and ends are, are is, is growing all the time. Um, but the, uh, on the returns part, I think is, is interesting. I personally, and it might be just me. I hate returning online purchases. It's, it's a real hassle, but buying it on in the first place was hard enough. And then I've got to return something. Except Amazon. Well, no, not except Amazon. There, there are brands that make it easy. It's so easy. Yeah, is that because they don't ask for it back with Amazon? Sometimes they say, I'll just keep it. Yeah, if you buy it from a third party through Amazon, then yeah, a lot. Of, uh, sometimes they will come back to you and say, uh, you know, destroy it. Don't, don't bother sending it back. I got, um, so actually this desk that I've got, um, so funny story, uh, my friend moved flat. Uh, bought a new flat and so he's got his second bedroom he's turned into like an office gaming room sort of thing um so he's having quite a big like all around the wall desk setup almost um but he bought this corner desk and he managed to buy the wrong corner so this one's got this one the corners on the right side he needed one with it on the left okay and he got in touch with them and they said i'll just just keep it we'll send you a new one wow and that was his mistake as well right he bought the wrong thing and they just they just sent him a new one, and I imagine part of that's the cost of returning it. You know, it's, they're fairly heavy, so the cost of returning is going to be something they don't want to deal with. But also, I do wonder if there's some sort of Amazon. Uh, maybe I should find out from George, the Amazon guy. I wonder if there's like a reputation thing with Amazon. So if you if you have returns, regardless of what the reason is, Amazon sees that and maybe penalizes you. So maybe that's why so many brands are keen to just say, don't bother returning it. Uh, it's it's not worth the cost and the hassle to us. And also potentially it might damage our rankings in Amazon or something. But I don't know. I think you'd be thanking, you'd be thanking your lucky stars at that point. You didn't have to call up a courier to come and collect something. And then you've got to be in. I mean, the days of COVID, I guess everyone's more in. But yeah, like right now, we're, like, we're all on Zoom calls all, the whole time. So you know, it, that kind of thing. I mean, I don't know how many, how many times a day uh, are you on a phone call uh, and some uh, packages arriving and you've got to, and you've, got, you've got to stop, right? You've got to stop the meeting and, and everyone's cool with it now because it's, it's kind of like the accepted norm, but yeah, too many deliveries for me. One thing I do miss about my flat, I had a concierge. So any delivery could just go to the concierge and be picked up. Now that I'm in the house, I have the front door. The front door's mine. <laughs> you are your own concierge. There's a, there's a middle-class problem, isn't I've either got yeah, I've either got to help, hope someone leaves outside, and and I I know knowing I know that I can pick it up in five ten minutes when the call ends, or I've got to find a way to signal to them to them to to drop it, or I've literally just got to say yeah, give me a couple of minutes. 
think we're moving off <laughs> topic a little bit. Sounds like a wonderful, well, that sounds like, well, interesting bringing it back to customer service there. I would say about like the value of being in that kind of like living environment is, yeah, that, there's probably a cost associated to that, but it sounds like it's really worth it. And especially when time is, and I would say that about modern life, time is so precious um, that wasting it on uh, either trying to research a ton about a product that I don't quite know about and making it easy for me to buy that product, but also making sure that I don't have to go through all the pain of having to return it as well, I think is a, I think it's a real big thing. So for me, every, t- every time I'm looking at now, and it's probably because of the, the lens that of which I look through life, because of the journey we've taken our, our company through, which was, uh, you know, for instance, we started out as a company that was purely finding the fit, fit for somebody. So it would tell somebody their shoe size. Hence the name of the company. Um, but fast forward five, six years, um, now we're all about the, it's like an online customer service. So it's an on, like an online shop assistant, effectively, that will help somebody find the right product. It will then make sure that they're guided through to um, finding, getting the correct size, which is fine, but also then helping them multiple ways to buy it. For instance, a big one there is like if the product is out of stock, automatically showing them other things that will fit them that they can buy that is in stock right now. But the, yeah. the, that part about that lens of how do you improve things by improving customer service? Because um, uh, again, I, I think that if I look at a website, what was the, what was the one? Zappos, for instance, in, in the States in the 90s, right? You know, people selling things online, doesn't really matter what the product is. Th- their website might look a bit more snazzy now. It might look a bit more shiny. The information is probably the same. Instead of product, there's probably a bit of information. There's a buy button next to it. That actually started happening in the 1950s and 1960s with those catalogs. I think it was like Grattan's catalog or something. Or in England, you're, you and I are both Brits. Littlewood's catalog, for instance. That, if you look at that, a web page, a website, an e-commerce platform, is generally that in the sky. Like, where's the customer service here? Like, the, the, the age of technology should be doing more than just making it more accessible to, so I don't have to go home to get the catalog. Oh, I can get the catalog on my phone or, or, or my PC. Um, but also providing a bunch of extra customer services to make it easier to buy things. Time is precious. You know, a lot of people buy stuff on the bus, on the train, waiting for somebody, picking them up outside of a, out of a, out of a car. Or, or do the research. Right. Right. You know, so you, might, you might be doing the research on, on the train or, or whatever. And if you're struggling to find the information there, you know, ideally, you'd want a customer service you can speak to. Um, I'm not a big fan of live chat on my phone, um, partly because when I'm on my phone, I like the ability to switch apps very quickly. Right. So, you know, I can, having a look at a product and then suddenly switch to WhatsApp, check messages, whatever. But with live chat, you feel as though you have to sit there constantly. Um, but uh, where was I going with that information? <laughs> um uh, well, it was about this. It was about the the, the the actual telephone part on your like. Even though you're holding a, a phone, right? You're used to speaking on it, but you know, are you yeah. really that comfortable with speaking on it? Like, you know, I'm, hold on a minute. I'm just trying to do some research here. I remember I, ac- I accidentally was was doing that exact same thing and accidentally pressed the call me button. I was no. <laughs> How do I turn this off? I was just doing the research. You know. Yeah. Ease of use. I I, I think ease of use is a, is a is a huge thing in the market right now, and I just think that. So many people have got so far to go. But that's a good thing, right? Because everyone thinks that like e-commerce is, uh, well, it, it, must be the, it must be at its peak, especially after COVID. It must be at its peak. Everyone was shopping at home. But it's like, if you think about the, the additional um, uh, experiences that you can give to shoppers to help them buy online, there's so much more to go with this. 
you know, it is, we, it, this is effectively in the dark ages. This is, as I said, a catalog in the, uh, in the sky. If you provide those extra customer experiences, those extra help, that ease of buying, I think e-commerce has just got so much further to go. I think we're really in the, inf- in, in the infancy right now. I think it's going to be a golden time, which I think makes it exciting to be in this, this market right now because there is that age of, it, of, of innovation. I really do feel there's that age of, of innovation right now. Yeah. Well, what's, uh, what sort of experiences do you think are out there? What, what opportunities? You know, is it is it a case of just making sure there's live chat or a video chat for everything or what else? Uh, I think that's a really good tool. I think it's a pretty blunt tool because, again, uh, like a, a live chat, maybe you've got real experts there and that's great. When that happens, I think that's exceptional. I also think it's fairly rare. You know, you're going to get maybe um, somebody that knows a little bit about everything and maybe that service is your call. That's fine. That's fine. Or maybe you get the information that you need. But for, for me, I think it's something that's kind of like um, artificial intelligence based, but also something that's very fit for the purpose. Again, so the, the shopper doesn't really have to think about it. They need to go through just a natural flow, again, almost like they would in the store, right? So again, in our case, um, helping people sell shoes, you walk into a shoe store, everyone knows the deal. You know, I, I, would, I would imagine a big proportion of the planet um, knows the deal, what happens when you go into a shoe store. If you're really lucky, someone's going to greet you at the door and they're going to say, hey, how are you doing? I've heard Vans, for instance, do this cool thing where they immediately ask someone and they say, hey, hey, dude, what's your size? What size are you wearing in that right now? Actually, sorry, not, not what, very importantly, not what is your size. What size are you wearing in those shoes right now? And they you say, oh, that's interesting. Why did you ask me that? Well, because all shoes fit differently, including ours. So if you do that, if you tell me what size you're wearing in that shoe, I will then just be able to bring you the right size when you're, when you're ready. And obviously what happens there is you're thinking, oh, that's, that's interesting. That's a different level of customer service right there. But also in the same point in their back of their minds, they're going to be thinking, once you've chosen something, if they don't have that in stock, they're going to be bringing you options. They're going, they're going to be helping you buy something fit for purpose in stock that you can buy right now. And, and I think that's a really big deal. So something that intuitively takes you through the vibe and the, the, the process that you're used to that you don't have to skip a beat. Oh, I, I already know how this works, right? You know, intuitively, even though you are, you're, on a, you're on a laptop or on a phone, intuitively, you know that process. So I think, I think things that are really well thought through um, and fit for purpose there. Otherwise, alternatively, you've got to have a bank of experts there waiting there. And obviously, the, the point about online growth is probably around automation. Um, how, do you, how do you employ one thing that could help, a, 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 you know, 100,000, 200,000, help a million people? You know what? That's what it should be, rather than a bank of customer service agents like waiting to take your call. Now, I, I heard some really great things. There was this brand in Australia um, during during the lockdown. They had the people that should have been in the store at home with a ton of expertise, and they were actually saying, "Press this button, you can speak to a real expert." And I thought that was cracking. What a great idea! Yeah, uh, Liberty of London did it as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's that yeah. the athletes. Foot fact, I think I think Australia. it's still on their website. It's like a little um, looks like a live chat thing, but it's uh, I think it says speak with an in store specialist or something. Yeah. And you actually, I, I believe, they connect you with the specialist from the category that you're looking at at the time. So one of the uh, and I I think the concept is wonderful. You imagine how that worked? That's great, right? But it worked especially well, or maybe it worked during lockdown because everyone's at home. 
what my personal experience of that, and it doesn't doesn't mean that that is everyone, and it doesn't mean it doesn't work. It's just what I have experienced is I've tried that when the stores were all open, the person was busy, like the install person was busy doing their day job, and it was like okay, that that instance. Um, so, for instance, like even yesterday, I was asking a question online, and somebody said in the chat, and it was a real person, right? You could tell it was a real person. I think you could, maybe they're just that good now. Uh, but he said, we'll, we'll get back to you. Give us your email address. We'll get back to you 24 hours later. Like, and what, what is 24 hours in e-commerce years? Yeah. And 20, depending on the products and stuff, 24 hours is I've bought it from someone else. Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that, so that delay and that anything there, it's like, you know, how do you, I think with selling anything online right now is about how do you service that need or hopefully even desire now? How does, how do you do that immediately? Yeah. Uh, I think that's that's important again, which is our our idea of the we're doing some research and um, looking at like what's the biggest conversion killer in online that we found we could find was help stop. From our research, it was a, th- a third of shopping experiences are blocked, don't end in a sale because the thing you're trying to buy is out of stock, and then generally that just that journey just ends. Um, but that that ability then to automatically go like you would in a real store. The shop, the, the, the shop person going, I've got you covered actually because I've actually gone and already checked some stock. I've already checked that this is right for you and it's going to fit you. Or let's say your PC analogy, it's going to work for you and you can buy it right now. The, 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 the ability for human beings to like desire help and take that help. Like we, I don't know about you, you know, I'm definitely not an expert in everything. I love it when I speak to somebody that knows more about something than I do, makes me feel comfortable. And more and li- more than likely, not only to buy that thing, but to carry on going back yeah. for that same experience. Well, I, I bought a tennis racket recently. Um, having not played tennis for excellent fifteen or so years, I've joined a tennis club now, um, and I've got a, my old racket is like twenty years old, so it needed a bit of a you know I need an upgrade or, or something new. I went into the store. The guy took my racket, looked at the details on it, kind of held it for a little bit. Um, asked me a couple of questions on how I play, like my style of play and stuff, um, and how old I was and uh, like how uh, mobile I am, I suppose. Um, what is the racing for that? <laughs> how do you even answer that question? How mobile are you? Um, well, I, I, I answered that. I, I can get around the tennis court right. like quite quickly, whereas some people can't. So that determines the type of strings you want and the weight of the racket and things. And... Um, he pulled off about three or four rackets off the wall, um, got me to hold each of them. And I went, I don't really have a clue what the difference is between these. And he said, in that case, have this one. And right. it was the, it might have been the cheapest one or the second cheapest one. And he said, you're, for the extra 40 quid or something, you're not really good. It, for someone who's so new back to tennis, you're not going to notice the difference between these two rackets. So not only did I have the experience of, Uh, an expert saying, cool, I'm going to get you the product that's right for you. But he also gave me alternatives and then uh, downsold me. You're coming, you're you're definitely buying that product and you are definitely going back. Like if you had any other these needs, that is the perfect shopping experience, apart from if they gave you an ice cream. Yeah. (laughs) There's actually a little cafe in there as well. So Coffee's better. It doesn't really fit with a tennis vibe, does it? Giving people ice cream, but you know what I mean. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, I'm absolutely going to go back there next time I need a t- tennis racket because that guy clearly knows what he's talking about. Whereas the bad experience I had was 
uh, I think I left a live chat message on one site. No one got back to me. Another site had WhatsApp as a contact method. So I added the number to my phone, messaged on WhatsApp, um, could see that the account was online, never received a message back. You feel unloved. Not even late. No. Just never. Yeah. And so I was like, I really liked the fact that they had WhatsApp there. I was like, this is, this is good because for me, that's like live chat, but better because I can come back to it when I want. Right. And it should work like that for them. Right. You know, if, if I disappear for a bit and stop responding, they can just wait for me to pick it up again. So it was like an ideal situation. I wonder what the reason, I wonder what the reason for that was. Well, I, I know that the... Uh, I'd feel betrayed. I'd, I'd feel hurt. <laughs> the, the founder has popped up as a recommended friend on Facebook. So um, that makes me think, actually, that's quite a small business and it was his phone number. Okay. So he'd, he'd, you know, he'd put his own phone number on there or, you know, as, a, as the brand. But that phone number just happened to be linked to his Facebook account. Yeah, I, guess it, I think it's quite unique there that you have, you've managed to f- kind of figure out the thing there. But most people wouldn't, right? It's just this like, again, like, how do you create a relationship with this, with this business? You're not supposed to know the, the size of that business. And therefore, I think I would feel bad about that. I would think I'm probably definitely not coming back to you, even if I have another need that you can fulfill. I'd be thinking about that, that bad use of, well, you didn't call me back. That's that's not. It's almost that perfect use case for a small business, though, right? He hasn't got the time to man live chat. Doesn't want to sit on checking emails all day. So let's just see when when my phone gets pinged, I'll just respond to people. Yeah, I have. A or call. I'll, I'll call someone back and have a chat. And actually, so I think that there's a massive opportunity there for small businesses who, who maybe don't have the staff. Just get people calling, contact you on WhatsApp. Yeah, and then. Uh, you know, you can jump between conversations quite quickly, but he, he left it. See, see there's, at some point, he's going to grow big enough and therefore he, he's going to go back to the automation part. And, and that, this reminds me, so, so we deal with a company, as a company based, um, I think it's Pasadena, just outside of LA, and they, the most awesome name. So they, they sell cowboy boots and you'll, you'll be able to tell by the name of the company. So they're called Yeehaw Cowboy. And it's run by this guy called Jose. And he's, a, he's just a powerhouse. Like every conversation with him is a delight. Every time I speak to him, I'm just like, I just feel more positive, right? He's got that vibe. And you can see why he's grown a very uh, successful business in, a, in quite a crowded market. And it's done through him and his customer services, his vibe, his expertise, his taste in these things, right? It's really good. And it, it, but he was growing a relatively large business and he was the customer service. And he said, if I allow this to happen, here as a business owner now, not as a shopper, I'm just not going to grow my business. I've, I've, mapped, I've maxed out. Like, I'm always taking these calls and customer service. And he was looking for a way to automate part of his business so that he could grow. Uh, and I thought it was interesting. So the, the project that we did, normally it's, it's named after like a new season or a new range or a financial goal, maybe, you know. Uh, and this one was called Give Ho- The project was called Give Jose His Time Back. Um, and it, the, the real focus was how do we automate as much of this as possible that everything autom- automatically works. And I think that part of technology is great, but as long as it's applied correctly and it works, like as long as it does end up helping people with as minimal input, right? So I, I think there was that a kind of feeling in the market uh, of e-commerce that there was this vibe kind of or this, this style maybe that lasted like maybe some four years ago up until very recently, which is I just want a cheap thing like a Shopify app that I'm going to pay 15 quid a month for and it's going to do everything. Like, you know, and clearly 
those things very rarely worked. There were some that did, but very rarely did it have the effect you required. It's why people hate chatbots, right? Chatbots, they're not chatbots because you don't chat with them, right? Chat would be like a, a proper two-way conversation. Right. That's live chat. Um, chatbots, I found that they very, very rarely work and give me the information I need to the point where now if I engage with them as last resort and I will go down the route that I expect to lead to uh, contact an agent, which is normally something like, you know, can I help you with any of these issues? No. Uh, you know, you answer a couple of questions as no, this doesn't help me. No, this doesn't help me either. No, this still doesn't help me. And then it goes, okay, would you like to speak to an agent or yes, or yes. go to an FAQ or something? And I'm like, yep, speak to the agent. And it's taken me three seconds. I haven't paid any attention to the actual chatbot experience apart yep. from trying to click those buttons that I'm expecting to lead me to a person. The, the this Again, it's probably that the use of technology... Um, if it's if it's poorly poorly implemented or poorly thought through, it acts as another barrier for the shopper, doesn't it? It's like they're thinking, this is just a pain. Uh, this doesn't really help. And then I think that again, we've we've seen a change in the market. I think from these people, these desiring these. Well, I'll pick this whatever these app, and it's probably unfair to pick on Shopify. I'm just trying to think of another one. There's a little app for my e-commerce platform, and that should solve all my problems. Well, that's kind of unfair on the. The creators of this thing, you know, you, you're paying a small amount, you know, maybe it's even a thousand euros a month or something. It's a relatively small amount for something that's going to do such a big thing. You know, what we're finding is again, people are going to the um the the more luxury side of this this aspect and going, okay, do you know what? That's a big problem. Um, and I should expect to be paying more for this. So the people that people seem more willing to invest now in that um in that service. However, there is a huge demand right now, as there should be. There absolutely should be. Now I've paid a lot of money for something. I really expect this to work. I really expect it to work for my shoppers. I, I need you to have really removed problems. Measurably is an important thing. Yeah, th there's this idea that just by installing this app and doing the basic setup, it's going to solve that problem. But the vast majority of these apps still require a marketing head behind it. Right. Someone who understands you know, how people, how people would engage with it and therefore what it should do in response to that. And a lot of that still has to be done by, by the brand itself, not by the app. Mm -hmm. So I, th I think that's probably where quite a, even bigger brands get it wrong. You know, they install it, do the setup and leave it and that's it. Yeah, it, it, we can't find a rhyme or reason actually in that one. And I think both is true. So some really big brands are going like, that's not my job. Uh, okay, somebody else bought this platform now I'm supposed to do something with it. I don't kind of. I don't, yeah, that's it's not. Well. It's not in my. It's not in my top ten things to do. So it's going to have to wait. And you go, okay. Well, I, I can understand that person's point of view. They've been given yet another task. They've been yet another project, and they didn't, maybe didn't even choose the, uh, the project. And then somebody else is going to come along and say, like, measure the, the measure. How did it go? Well, not very well, actually. You know, it didn't go very well because it didn't have the required input. So I think that those kind of things of people. Again, I think I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm understanding that, that people are willing, less willing to take on 20 projects or 10 projects. Like people are now saying, do you know what? I, I'm going to choose some big problems and I'm going to solve them really well. And I'm going to focus on those. So have you seen a, a change in that market? Maybe it's just a, a perception thing here. It's, it varies. I, yeah, I've got a, 
speaking to some people who it's very much, we've, we've identified this one key problem and we're going to fix this. We're going to work on fixing this until it's done and then we can, we can explore other things. And then other people who are 20 different, much smaller product uh, projects. Right. And, and hoping that each of them will, will move the needle. Um, and I, I do think the, the focus on maybe not one project, but the focus on a handful of projects is going to be better because you're more likely to pick the projects that are going to have a bigger impact and you're going to do them better. These 20 projects that you're working on at the same time, so each one's got one 20th of your time allocated to it, are all going to be done as quickly as you can. And that's probably, again, like the problem with these apps. Right. Basic setup. They don't, they don't have the time to do something, so they install an app to do it for them and do a very quick setup on the app so that they can move on. Yeah, we, we had a couple of conversations. So obviously, like, you know, so I, I am chief commercial officer, so my, you, you would imagine that my job is purely just about purely just growing revenue and just getting, getting as many deals in as possible. We actually decided to use the measure of success, actually customer success, so clearly there is always a revenue component. However, the real, vi- the real thing about here is like not just somebody using something for a year, but multiple years and, and really for both sides being very happy with the value they got, right? Which at that point, you need to understand what, they, what did they want going into it? What was the desired outcome going into it? And then very carefully measuring that. So given that part, we've really appreciated it when somebody, a few people have said to us, do you know what? I don't have time for that right now. My, my plate is already full. I've got, my three main big wins that I'm working on right now, that one is fourth, fifth, or sixth, whatever it is, and we'll get back to it. And, and people have genuinely got back to it and they have said, yeah, okay, great. I'm now, oh, now I'm here. I've delivered those things. This is now the hot topic. And now we're really going to focus on that. And we, we found that that, that, um, that worked really well because people are really committed to it at that point. Now, clearly, yeah. again, as, as a sales organization, some people wander off and do some other things and, and, and that's fine there. But the, the, what we really enjoy is when like both sides are committed to that. Um, so again, kind of like a, a point, point here. So um, there's this really high end. Um, so uh, I guess the world would know as um, I guess rubber boots, you and I being English will know them as wellies, uh, but the, about the highest brand, the highest end brand. Um, so Le, Le Chameau. And um, they spent really, they were really considered in, in terms of, thinking about how they could help the shoppers, thinking through all the, the kind of the potential um, dead ends or the potential problems within a buying process for somebody online. Because again, they're so high end. I mean, I think their products range from somewhere like £100 to £400. But for a pair of, uh, you know, you can imagine the, the quality that goes into that. They're going, okay, yeah. so we should provide appropriate customer care. And that project took a, a decent while, you know. And we were delighted at that. Not that they were like, bang, let's turn up, let's, let's get it going. Because, you know, they, they really need to understand how exactly it would help their shoppers. But they also need to understand what was their requirement on them. And, and I just thought that was such a smart way to do it. I think it's really important, not, not, not going through a process for the sake of going through the process, but everyone had their eye on how, what effect is this going to have on the shopper and how do we give, give it the best chance of life? It was, yeah, re- really, really very, um, a, yeah. a very good experience all round, actually. It's interesting seeing, uh, you know, retailers who sell the same brands as everyone else. And one retailer will do a absolutely fantastic job of selling you that product. You know, they will have, um, uh, you know, a, like a shoe size finder, right? So you can find the, the, the actual size that's going to be correct for you. 
if that shoe is not in stock, it will recommend you another one that's in stock. Then when you go through the checkout, everything is just, everything is fantastic. And then you look at a luxury brand charging hundreds of pounds for the, for their products. And it's almost like they've put no effort into their product page at all. There's the price, a few images, basic description. And uh, I don't know, is it is it the assumption that because it's expensive, people just buy it because it's expensive? That can't really be the reason, but... But it's just, yeah, like they don't go through that process of how are we going to convince someone that this is worth four or five hundred pounds when they could buy or, or thousands? Well, in some cases, thousands as well. I mean, like, yeah, if you're getting to like, like high end luxury shoes, um, like women's shoes specifically, and I think in the more in the female market, some of these things are wildly expensive. And I, I guess there, there's the element of, well, we have discerning shoppers, they probably have bought one of these products before. And therefore, they can probably just go through the process and buy it online. However, that's great. Apart from what about growth? Is your growth plan just to sell more to the same people? Or are you going to expand your market? For instance, like RM Williams. Amazing in Australia. In, the growth plan is, is a lot of it. Is, I mean, there's a long way to go in Australia. But also, the growth plan is, is, is international. And acquiring new shoppers. Acquiring new customers for life. And that's, that's great, you know. I think if you walk, walk into one of these, I mean, we could think of any brand we wanted, but if you walked into one of those their shops, you would be dazzled by the shopping experience you'd probably get. And you go, okay, this feels appropriate. That shoe is 1,000. That shoe is 1,500. Okay, that feels appropriate. You know, very deep carpets. And then you go online, it's going, here's a picture of the shoe or here's a picture of the product. Nothing else. It's really strange. And I, I, I understand the, the minimal elegance I understand the power of design. And sometimes you go, that is beautiful because it's a minimal experience. I understand that. However, when things have got a very specific function, uh, for instance, in your PC PC analogy, um, that's got a function, so it has a use. The other ones would be things like, again, luxury, in this case, footwear or, or any kind of like apparel. That has a very specific use. You would, you would, I would imagine that you want it to be perfect if you're going to be getting rid of that, that amount of money. The other actually part is the performance aspect. So if you're thinking of any, any product that has a performance element, so again, in our world, running shoes, for instance, or football boots, or kind of any kind of team sports, you would imagine then people are buying them not because just their old pairs worn out and they're replacing them. Very often, these things have got a very functional thing. They're expecting to be better. Like somebody's buying a new pair of running yeah. shoes. I think they're expecting it to not only make their experience better, but their performance better. Well, I'm, I'm sure on the, the Nike website and, and probably some others, they do categorize them as particularly football boots, like power, pace, uh, precision, probably. Um, and so you de- depending on what sort of player you think you are, you're going to pick one of those and then they, they might go into some sort of uh, detail on each product to make you go... Okay, so this particular shoe is the one for me. Uh, yeah, I think people are going kind of like this. so. That's that's great around the product, but again, it's a bit bitty, as, is what I is what I would say. And the things I've seen, it's a little bit bitty. It's a bit start and stop. Okay, so they're gonna they're gonna guide you maybe to the, some of the right products, and and that's good. Um, it's different from an online, ex- sorry, from a real experience, right? Where somebody would really be asking you questions, like like yeah. for instance, in your case, right, about your mobility or. Um, you know, your style of play or whatever, you know, those are real things. Very difficult to do that, um, to do that online. But when somebody nails that, 
they will absolutely dominate that market. And I think that there's there's the thing, right? The the, the ability for um, players in the marketplace to really start dominating through that customer service. I, I really truly believe that 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 exists. Um, and it is, yeah. it's quite interesting that some of the brands that you would think would give that do give an amazing in-store experience, give a very basic experience online. I, I'm not quite sure why why that is. Is it because they don't need to? Is it because it's just too hard to tackle right now and they haven't figured out how to do it? Is it because they're working on other things? I don't know. I'm sure there are some very uh, some very valid reasons there, but I think that gives some other players in the market the ability to maybe catch up or even overtake by really focusing on that um, that customer experience. Yeah, I guess it's potentially a lack of technology until recently. So some of these things, you know, if you're thinking, well, you know, like Clark's, for example, the, the shoe store. I remember going in there every year as a kid to get my school shoes. Everyone does. You have someone come up, amazing. measure your feet, uh, come back with three or four different shoes for you to try, um, talk to you about, you know, check the width, you know, really detailed um, experience. But years ago, even, or even now really, but a couple of years ago, you would have been thinking, well, how do we replicate that experience on site? Or how do we give any sort of experience that's relatively similar to that on online? Right. So that people, without speaking to someone and having someone do that, have that comfort of still having that experience online that, that says, this is going to be the ideal shoe for you and the size for you. And now that's obviously what you guys provide. But other stores as well. So John Lewis as well, right? I'd say John Lewis is another example where the in-store experience is really good. You get people coming up to you uh, basically as soon as you walk in, asking you if you need any help, what, what are you looking for? But the online experience, there's nothing. They don't even have a live chat. They're my, they're my favorite in-store. I, 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 you know, I, I used to live in London and, and it was, you know, if you really wanted to go and learn about something, you would go there because they've got, they've got department experts and they're just also... Yeah so nice as well and it it was just so easy again it was a, it was an easy shopping experience they've got their guarantee and stuff at the end as well um but they, it was about the product expertise the, the the product help the customer service everything turned into a good a feel-good purchase yeah you know, it really didn't matter if you were in the department if you're in the basement and you're looking at like homeware right at the top and you're buying sports or whatever or anything in between anything you bought you felt um you felt good about and it's it's really interesting uh the, the difference is there a, again everyone in england in the, in the UK, would have experienced that. A lot of people would have experienced that Clark's yeah. uh, experience. I had it as a kid, and it was always kind of like really like well, it's, it's so vivid, like burnt into burnt into your memory. I, I used to work for IBM, and so uh, Clark's were a client of mine back at, uh, when I was at IBM, and going down to their head office in the middle of nowhere, I think it's in Frome in Somerset. And you go, it's if you're going from London, it's going to take you about four or five hours. Um, yeah, to, yeah, to get down there. Uh, but again, you get down there and go, the passion that everyone's got for that. You know, we felt it as kids in the store, going to the head office. You could tell they still had it, which is which is wonderful. I think so. I think it's a truly wonderful business. I have looked at their website, and they've they've decided not to provide those kind of customer services on the website yet. Um, again, I'm not sure of the the reasons for that. Is it because they just don't think it's it's possible? I'm not sure. But it, it feels like a bit jarring to me. Like, where's the match? Where's the balance? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, for instance, they've been really coming back into fashion as well, like the desert boot. You know the oh yeah the is it called the sat what was what's the model called? Really oh, I wouldn't know. <laughs> yeah, there's the this, like the suede desert boot. Um, 
I saw Raheem Sterling advertising them actually really, really cool now again I really wanted a pair I don't know what my Clark I don't know what size I would need to buy in that I've got no idea um I don't think they've got a shoe finder as far as I can see online so I'd have to buy it in store yeah and and that's kind of like probably a lost purchase for somebody that really wants to buy as you see people talking about them on LinkedIn all the time it's really funny oh like LinkedIn this, yeah Just LinkedIn in- yeah yeah, there's this whole fanboy part of link, of uh, Clarks on LinkedIn. They've got, they're really, I think they're again they're reimagining themselves as a business. Some of their products uh, and product ranges are really innovative now, like really quite cutting edge stuff. How do they go and reach their? How do they go and reach that new audience? Yeah, challenge for lots of businesses. Yeah, it is. Um, cool. I, I think we're, we're just about to run out of time. Um, so just. Before we wrap up, um, is there anyone in the D2C marketing space that you'd like to go for lunch with? Yeah, I think I'm, gonna, I'm not going to give you a very good answer on that one. So I, I, we're mostly uh, so business to business rather than uh, direct to consumer. So I'm not really yeah, aware yeah. of, yeah, we're, we're the other end of that. We are effectively business to business consumer. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not aware of that actually. Okay, fair enough. Rubbish answer, sorry. Yeah, uh, so this next one's probably not great either. A couple of marketing, well, tools that you use every day. Let's just go tools. Any any tools that you'd recommend for day-to-day business usage? Don't have to be marketing because you're not a marketer. <laughs> yeah, again, business usage, like, you know, for, for us as a business, like, so we use HubSpot. I've used things like, so basically CRM systems that will then link to to marketing campaigns, I think is, uh, I think is, is very important. Um but actually now that I think the ideas of like, so video content being king now, um, we are now doing uh, more, more like, for instance, like this, you know, so more like webinars or more video based content and being able to get that out um, is something that we're finding really exciting at the moment. Um, how to make the kind of like the slickest, easiest content that looks best online and reaches the biggest audience. As B2B, we use LinkedIn uh, a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure that whether, for instance, things platforms like Instagram and Facebook are, are right for us. Um, are we going to be able to find the right um, people who are interested in what we do? The people who run their social media might not always be that that person. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I think more going towards the, the things that will help us get our video content out there. Um, so I don't know if anyone's going to put any uh, put any comments on this, but if anyone's got any uh, suggestions on that, I, I'd be I'd be all ears. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And if uh, if anyone wants to get in touch and and find out more about what you guys do, what's the best way of doing that? Um, it would probably through um, either LinkedIn, so you can have a, a good chat there. They can go to our website, which is uh, shoesize.me. Um, but I think probably a more chance if they want to find me. Uh, so Paul Davis, D A V I S. Um, unfortunately, it's a rubbish name. So there are there are millions of people, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, probably just search for uh, Paul Paul at shoesize.me. Probably that will that will find somebody. Awesome. Yeah, love to, uh, love to hear from any uh, shoe brands or retailers. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Thanks so much, Paul. Yeah. Thanks, Will. Really love Paul's thinking there. As I mentioned at the start, we've chatted quite a bit, and I completely agree that there's so much more DTC brands can be doing online to really enhance that experience. Your website shouldn't just be a catalog that customers browse and pick from. The website should guide them on their journey, advise them, and give them that experience that leaves them feeling confident in their decision to buy from you. How can you anticipate these customer needs, these questions that they're asking themselves as they browse your store, and make sure you answer them so they don't go browsing elsewhere? If you'd like to reach out to Paul, you can find him on LinkedIn or head over to shoesize.me. Any other podcast questions, feedback, guest requests, please send them over to will at customersuclick.com or tweet me at Will Lawrenson. 
Next up is Simon Clark. We're going to be talking about customer research projects, how to gather quantitative and qualitative data, and importantly, how to use it. But until then, keep those customers clicking. Thank you.